Who is he? Who is he? Good morning to you all. <clears throat> we just sang, I surrender all. I surrender all. That's an aspiration. I don't know how many of us can, can uh, sing that or say those words and feel vindicated, justified by saying that. I surrender all. How many of here? I know there's a few. How many here have surrendered all to the Savior? Ten hands went up. No, not a single hand went up. Now, we realize how difficult that is. But, you know, the Lord Jesus has given us, through his spirit, the power to deliver everything, to put all upon the altar for him. And by surrendering all, by giving all, by, by actually denying self, we can't even remotely hope to repay for what he's done. He has given every good thing, every gift that enables us to even, even attempt or even have a semblance of being one of his. It's all through him. But I can study, I can, I can, I can uh, instruct myself, I can punish myself, I, I, I can do everything. I can, I can, I can, and nothing avails. Surrender to the Lord Jesus is emptying ourselves and allowing him to be used through us and to fill us. And that is his desire for us. We're going to look at some men and women in the Bible that were able to surrender to the Spirit. They were able to surrender to their Lord. And great things were wrought because of it. <clears throat> our text for this morning is 1 Timothy 2.4. This is our theme text. 1 Timothy 2.4. We're going to begin at verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Verse 4, who will have all men. His will is that all men be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Verse 2 said, for kings and for all that are in authority. I've been meditating upon God's <clears throat> dealings with the kings of the earth. Not necessarily the kings of Israel and Judah, but the kings of the earth. I've been teaching the children in, uh, at Awana uh, types of Christ in the Old Testament. And, I've, and, and we've, the last few weeks, we've been on Joseph and his dealings with a mighty king known as Pharaoh. And it got me to thinking about how God deals with the nations and how he deals with kings. And how he wills that all men be saved. Isaiah chapter 60, you don't have to turn to it, says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. 
and the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. Therefore thy gates shall be open continually, they shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The Lord prophesied through Isaiah that the nation of Israel would be used to draw the nations, not to them and their way, but to their God, the true God. That they would be a light unto the Gentiles. That their gates would be forever open. That the peoples would be brought to them. That the kings would be brought to them. We think of the Queen of Sheba. She was drawn. She was attracted to the God of Solomon. And there were others as well. Psalm 2 poses the questions about how the nations uh, conduct themselves. I'll read it. Psalm 2 says, Why do the heathen rage and the people Imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And here's the instruction to the kings. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed. Ye judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The psalmist addresses the nations and the kings of the earth and gives instructions. Those that would put at naught their creator are going to be vexed. They're going to suffer. But the wise king bows before the Lord of heaven and seeks his way. <clears throat> I'd like to look at a few of these kings. And it's not just the kings and it's not just the Lord, but there are servants of God that work, that surrender themselves to be used of God and to be found in favor by the kings of, of this world. As we look at this and as we study, we can ask ourselves, are we trusting, are we resting, and are we walking in such a manner that the Lord could use us to have a place of favor before a king, before a ruler? We're going to look at men and women that were exalted into positions of favor in the lands of pagan kings, of Gentile kings. And through their testimony, the nation was changed, or the king was changed. 
There are good examples and there are bad. And the first one that we've got, there's three pharaohs that are discussed in, in Genesis and Exodus. The first pharaoh is that pharaoh that Abram went to when there was a famine in the land and he and his wife Sarah, or Abram and Sarai, went into Egypt and Abram's wife Sarai was a nice looking woman. And her beauty came to the attention of Pharaoh's servants and through them to Pharaoh himself. Abram lost faith. He said, they're going to kill me and they're going to take my wife. Pharaoh will kill me because my wife is that beautiful. It's hard to think of that. I think of Sarah as an old, old lady, don't you? You think of her as an old lady giving birth to a child. Well, she was young once, and she was beautiful. And Abraham no, had no faith. Even though he had the faith to walk after the Lord and to trust in his covenant, yet when the time came, he lost that faith. And because of that, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And, Abram, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou, She is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Abram had an opportunity to minister to the Pharaoh. When, via the beauty of his wife, he was introduced to the Pharaoh, he could have had that opportunity to say, this is my wife that God has given to me and promised that with us we will become a mighty nation and through us all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He had that platform. He had that opportunity. And yet, in weakness, he, he fled from it. Pharaoh looked on him with contempt and ordered him out of his country. Pharaoh, in this in this story here, acts more honorably and more godly than Abram, the servant of God. He sees that it is an evil thing that he had intended, and yet he acts honorably. And so here's an example of the, the poor, a poor choice, poor oppor opportunities missed. Uh, preparation made by God, and yet we miss the opportunity. There was another pharaoh, and that was Joseph's pharaoh probably 100, 150 years later. Joseph is brought through the divine will of God into the palace of Pharaoh. Through a path not of his choosing, not of his father's choosing, but a path of God's choosing, he went from being that beloved son, beloved of his father, but despised of his brethren, he was left for dead. He was cast into prison. And there with two other condemned, does it sound like anyone you know? And there with two other condemned in prison, ultimately he's exalted. And he's brought to Pharaoh. <clears throat> and for the first time he's introduced to him when he's been asked, he's been told that he's an interpreter of dreams. In Genesis chapter 41, verses 15, and we'll read quite a few verses here. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there's none that can interpret it. And I've heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream and to interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one God hath showed 
Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 38, and Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? This is when the question was raised, who shall we put in charge of the country during these next 14 years of feast and famine? Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Chapter 45, verse 4, Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And the fame thereof was heard in, verse 16, the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beasts, and go, get you unto the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Moses told his brothers, that which you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph became such a force in Egypt that Pharaoh could pretty much live a semi-retired life and entrust this one, and Pharaoh repeatedly refers to not only Joseph's God, but he refers to him as God. Through Joseph and through Pharaoh, softening his heart and looking on this person, what, what did Joseph have to commend himself? He's a foreigner. He comes from a land of sheep herders who are despised in Egypt. He's brought in there. He's accused of a crime. He wastes away in prison. But because he has the favor of God, his fame is made known to Pharaoh. And he's brought in Pharaoh's presence. And through the power of God, he's revealed God's power to Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't doubt his interpretation of the dream. He accepts it as truth. You know, we've been told how that in the Middle East, North Africa, parts of the world, God is speaking to people through visions and dreams. And why would he not? He's been doing it for 4,000 years. He's spoken to Gentiles. He's spoken to those that he loved and he sent his son to die for through visions and dreams when men and women are not willing to take the word to them. When there isn't a messenger of God, one who surrendered all to take the word to him, he will, he will deliver the word himself through visions and dreams. And he introduced Joseph to Pharaoh through visions and dreams. And then Joseph was called. What a blessing. Through him, he's reunited with his brethren. His brethren move in. They're given the choicest land and the choicest goods in Egypt. But who else prospered? The nation of Egypt, the Pharaoh, 
blessed and prospered because of that little bit of faith that Pharaoh had. From that example of godly Joseph, one that surrendered all. I love the story of Joseph. He's probably the most perfect type of the Lord Jesus Christ. In all the chapters and all the verses recorded of Joseph, we never see an act of sin. Not a word out of place. Beautiful type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, the nation of Egypt, that nation that had 12 gods and many minor gods, for a brief time, for a while, they trusted in the God of heaven, the God of Israel, and they were blessed for it. You know, through the famine, all the money, all the money of northern Africa and the Middle East flowed into the treasury of Pharaoh as he sold off all the grain. All of that. And when the money was gone, all of the cattle, all of the camels, all of the sheep, they flowed into the stockyards of Pharaoh. And when all of that was gone, all the land was mortgaged to Pharaoh. All the land given. Imagine this. Pharaoh, because of a little bit of faith, responding to the vision that God gave him, the dream that God gave him, and responding to the word given to him by God's servant, was blessed, perhaps beyond any king in the history of the world. His nation was rich. All the, low, all the surrounding areas were, in, were tributary to him. And Joseph, led of the Lord, caused all this. The Lord, the Lord caused all this and used Joseph in this. What a, what a beautiful picture it is. It was, it was so impressive upon <clears throat> Pharaoh that <clears throat> when Jacob died, chapter 50, verse 4 says, And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father hath made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him <clears throat> went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. What an impression this young man had on the Pharaoh. There's another Pharaoh. <clears throat> I have like 1,100 examples, so we've got to move quickly. No, I don't. I've got 11, I think. There's another Pharaoh. Moses is Pharaoh. None of them are named in Scripture. We can, we can through history, uh, infer what their names likely were. But Moses is Pharaoh. He was that Pharaoh that rose up. Uh, now, Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 says, Now there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Verse 10, Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. There arose up a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Didn't remember him. But perhaps for a generation or two, while God blessed the land of Egypt, made them prosper, 
made his name known to them. His people in their midst and his people prospering, growing in number far greater than the Egyptians. For every baby that the Egyptians had, the Jews, the, the Hebrews were having 100, were having 50 perhaps. And they were expanding and their flocks were multiplying. Everything they set their hand to, God blessed. So that it brought out the jealousy and the enmity of the Egyptians. And they forgot the God of Joseph. In chapter 5, God has uh, appointed Moses and Aaron to go in unto this Pharaoh. Chapter 5, verse 5 says, And after Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Uh, That was verse 1. And verse 2 says, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. In chapter 7, God tells uh, Moses in verse 5, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. This same nation that God had blessed, how how does God call the nations to him? Through, through plague, through lack. No, the God, God has, throughout all history, blessed nations with everything they need. With land, with water, with, with materials, with minerals, with wealth that they need. And yet they, they heed not God. There's none that seeketh after him. Yet, he wills that all men come to him. And he's long-suffering. And he gives and he shows his love and his provision and his kindness until he's slapped in the face so many times, as happened here in Egypt. And the day comes when he brings the plagues upon Egypt. You know, the ten plagues are interesting. The first one is an inconvenience. Because the river turns to blood, they have to dig wells. So it's an inconvenience. And after that, you've got your frogs and your gnats and your flies. And now it becomes an irritation, an annoyance. It's maddening. And then you get where it affects your pocketbook. It affects the flocks and the herds, the cattle and the sheep. It's affecting their pocketbooks. And then it progresses and it touches their flesh with the boils. So you've gone from an annoyance. You've gone from an inconvenience to an annoyance. Now it's touching your pocketbook. Now it's touching your, your body. And then you've got that plague of darkness that touches the mind. Where people are going virtually mad from the darkness, a darkness that can be felt. And then ultimately... The Lord has given Pharaoh nine opportunities to hearken to his word and let my people go. He prophesies that you are going to let my people go and you're going to escort them out and you're going to enrich them. God hardened his heart 
until he not only touched his body and his mind, but the life of the firstborn. God is long-suffering, and he works with, with us and with the nations in the same way. He begins with an annoyance, perhaps, you know, a prod, a poke. We don't, we don't want that rod to come down hard. But it progresses. It progresses, and the Lord wants to lead us back to himself. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. The staff is to protect us. The rod is to instruct us. And here, the time has come where he had to instruct Egypt. In chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 16, it says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children go. And Pharaoh said unto him in verse 28, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face no more. And then the destroying angel came. In chapter 12, verse 30, Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians. <clears throat> there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said, and take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also, bless me by leaving. Chapter 14, verse 17. The Lord says, and behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am God. I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. Moses was used to bring the word of God to Pharaoh. You think Pharaoh was the only one that heard the testimony of God's prophet? Were there not others in the court? Were there not others in the city? Were there not others that were going to the Hebrews and inquiring of them, what is your God doing? What is your God's plan? What does he have? Why does he hate us? And they all had the opportunity to share with their neighbors, with their employers, with their masters, the truth of God's promise. To be a light unto the Gentiles. They had that opportunity. Are we to believe that God has now cursed a nation that he had blessed so richly and was going to forsake them? No, the Pharaoh, yes. But the people of, of Egypt, he loved them with an everlasting love. He sent his son in the future to die for them. He gave to them a testimony through his people that lived among them for 400 years. And he sent prophets to them. Recently, Moses showed the power of the God of heaven. He is not willing that any should perish. He wills that all men Come to salvation. After the story of Egypt, we read of another king. 
an unusual king, a Gentile king, a king in the middle of Canaan, king with a funny name. His name is Melchizedek. He's a Gentile king. Remember, he's a Gentile king. There's just a small, small little chosen people at this time, Abraham and Sarah. This was, this was before going into, into Egypt. Melchizedek's a Gentile king. And in Genesis chapter 14, we read that Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace, Jerusalem, he brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Wait, how can that be? How can that be? He was a priest of the Most High God. Was he the priest of the Most High God? The only one on the planet Earth? The only one of that time? Had God forsaken all of the world at that time except for Abram? And perhaps Melchizedek? No, God's spirit was working throughout the world in this age. His love was shed abroad upon all mankind. He blessed them. And while the neighbors of Salem, that would be Sodom, Gomorrah, and their kings, they weren't priests of the Most High God, were they? They had no time for God. They were full of pride and of self. And yet God loved them as well. And he sought and he sent Abram and Lot among them as well, didn't he? Righteous Lot, he was called. And yet here we know that in the heart of Canaan, that land that became such a scourge, where God's judgment became full, that land. That's why, that's why Egypt... Or that's why Israel languished 400 years in Egypt. That the iniquity of the Canaanites be full to the point where God would cleanse it. But he has long suffering. And he sends people like Melchizedek and Abraham. And he blesses the nations because of them. Here was a, one of the rare kings that didn't need to be brought to the Lord but he introduced a little bit more of the Lord to Abram himself. You know, the writer to the Hebrews uses Melchizedek as a type of Christ. Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. No recorded beginning or end. He blessed Abram, he broke bread, and he shared wine with him. What a beautiful picture this is. In verse 19 it says, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, Possessor of heaven and earth. He was a blesser. In verse 20. And blessed be the most high God. Which has delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. He's more honorable than Abram. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram. Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom. I have lift up my hand unto the Lord. The most high God the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to the shoe latchet, that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. I love this story in that Abram is preaching repentance and judgment to the kings. You know, there were 10 kings involved here. Five he went and destroyed, and five he was moderately aligned with, moderately allied with, but he judged them. 
And he told them that what you're doing, you know, he let them know by his example, by his walk, by his deliverance, by the hand of God working through him and his, what, 30 men, 120 men. It was some small number. And he destroyed, he, he destroyed, he defeated five kings in their, in their armies. What a beautiful picture that he ministers to them and Melchizedek ministers to him. Because the Lord loves the kings of the earth. As we get into Canaan, <clears throat> we're story after story about the kings of Canaan, king of Amalek, Edom, Moab, Media, Philistia, and others, how they clung to their gods and were destroyed. You know, when the people of Israel marched, they marched through the wilderness, marched through the land of Midian, through the land of Amalek, through the land of Moab, Edom. When they pitched their tents, when they pitched their camp, in the center was the presence, wasn't it? And from that was the Shekinah glory. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Around that center of the camp, the camp was arrayed in four directions. North or east, small amount. West, huge amount. North and south, moderate amounts. When the people of the nations looked down upon the camp of the, Egypt, of the Israelites, they saw this, the representation of the cross there. If you look at the numbers and the directions, it didn't say they were to camp from the northeast to the northwest. It says they were to camp to the north of, of the Levites and to the east and to the west. And as they camped, the cross was laid out there, and in the center was the place of sacrifice. This is what Balak, or Balaam saw when he looked down on the camp of Israel and was, was asked to curse the Israelites. And he looked down there and he saw the cross represented in the camp of the nations, you know, the camp of the Israelites. You know, the king of Gibeon heard about the God of Israel, and he feared him to the point where he would deceive Joshua and come in rags and dust and dirt and say, we've traveled from afar and we want to be allies of yours. And it turns out that they were among the uh, people of, of Canaan. He says, well, because you've deceived me, you are going to be hewers of wood and bearers of water, but you're going to serve in the Lord's house. And they were blessed. The king of Gibeon had a fear of the Lord, and his people were blessed because they were absorbed into the nation of Israel and were servants, not just in the villages. No, they were servants in the house of the Lord at the tabernacle and later in the temple. What a blessing it was to them because the king of Gibeon had a fear of the Lord. The kings of Tyre and Sidon, they allied themselves with David and Solomon. The king of, the king of Tyre provided the, the mighty cedars of Lebanon for the, for the construction of the temple. And for a while they were blessed while they honored Israel and the, and the God of Israel. Another king that was touched <clears throat> was that king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, I believe his name was. When he responded to the voice of a little maiden that said, oh, that my Lord would go to the prophet that is in Israel. And that king of Syria had faith and sent Naaman, his mighty general, to the prophet to be healed by dipping seven times in the, in the river, River Jordan. King of Syria was touched through the testimony of a little girl. Why? Because God loves Syria. God loves Gibeon. God loves the nations of the world. 
and works through them with or without our help. We should thank God that he gives us the opportunity in our walk, perhaps not to minister to a king or a president or a prime minister, but to people that are in authority. And that those that are in authority would notice the walk of the believer in the way that Pharaoh noticed Joseph's walk. To, be, to surrender and to be used of him that we might impact our neighborhood, our community, our city, our state, our nation. We should pray for those that are around the circles of power, whether it be Washington, D.C., or London, Paris, Moscow, wherever, that their influence around the circle there, their influence would be felt within the inner circle of government. You know, this is the time of year that we all despise, don't we? The debates are going on, the, the political, the fundraisers. We just finished the impeachment stuff. I am, I am appalled. I'm disgusted. I'm, I'm, this is the worst time. This is the worst. Every fourth year is just miserable. There are those in position to make an impact on people in power, even at the very top. You know, we read about the president going to the prayer breakfast every Tuesday or Saturday, whatever it is. And, you know, there are, there are visiting pastors, reverends, ministers that come there, and they give a little word and they lead the prayer. And there are, I believe, a few believing senators and congressmen and congresswomen. We should pray that their, that their position would be used for them not to represent the people, but to re represent the will of God. That should be our prayer. We should pray for them. We should pray for each other that we can be used in a more local way. I'm not going to get halfway through this. My favorite examples, I'm going to do one more, but my favorite examples are from the book of Daniel, and we're not even going to get there. We're not going to get there. The book of Daniel, there's Four men that we know about, Hananiah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Belteshazzar, Daniel. And they are used of the Lord. Where do they come from? They come from the ranks of the slaves. They don't come from high families. They don't come from government families. They don't come from wealthy families. They come from the ranks of the slaves. And God exalts them not through their great wisdom, strength, intelligence, beauty, but he raises them up to a position where they can impress the governors, they can impress the king through their walk, through their faith, through their following of, the, of their God, of their Lord. While the rest of the nation follows along the decrees, they, they won't do it. Beautiful pictures. Daniel, he has the highest position through four kings. The entire reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the short reign of Belshazzar, the reign of Darius, and the, into the first year of the reign of Cyrus, the great king Cyrus. And his influence is felt on all four of those. Belshazzar was judged. Nebuchadnezzar prospered, was judged, and then was restored. Darius 
loved David and wept when he was put into the den of lions. We'll go into this another time. Hmm? What did I say? Well, yes, him. <laughs> and then Cyrus. Cyrus comes. We don't know what the effect of Daniel was in his life, but he sent out that decree that the people of Israel would be free, that they would be sent back, they'd be allowed to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, and not only that, he was going to equip them. He was going to equip them with material and wealth. It was wonderful. But one, you know, one of the stories that's interesting, we're not going to get into those Daniel stories. We just had to, maybe another time we'll get into those. King Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus. Who had an impact on King Ahasuerus? Esther and Uncle, Uncle Morty. Esther, again, from the ranks of the slaves. Raised up, God gifted her with physical beauty. But that's not all. God gifted her with a spirit. God gifted her with a, a submission to him that she could be used of God in the highest circles. Very presence of mighty Xerxes, as we would know him better today. Uncle Mordecai, also elevated because of his faithfulness, because of his, his character, because of his honesty, his position, into that inner circle where he was able to protect the king's life. They were able to, through their walk and through their lives, minister the God of heaven before the mighty King Xerxes. So when the time came <clears throat> that the nation, the people of Israel were to be annihilated, God exalted lowly Esther and Mordecai, brought down the evil Haman, and caused Ahasuerus, it caused Xerxes to praise the name of God. Even though we know in the book God's name is not mentioned, King Ahasuerus was used as a servant, as a tool, as a, as, to follow the purposes of God. All right, we're going to skip all the Daniels. As we got to close here. In the New Testament, one little Paul is brought before Festus and he's brought to King Agrippa. In Acts chapter 26, he says, King Agrippa, after preaching a sermon to him, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. I wish you were like me, Agrippa. I pray that you're not just almost persuaded, but that you are persuaded. God uses people to bring kings and to bring nations back to him. God hasn't written off the continent of Asia. He hasn't written off parts of the world that are traditionally pagan. He, does, he desires all men everywhere to follow him. 
Romans 1, 16, 25 says that the nations of the earth, despite not having the, the printed word of God, it says that for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. We read 1 Timothy 2, 4, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We are to intercede, we're to supplicate for all men. Well, all good people that act like us and behave like us and follow, follow the rules of absolutely. No, it says we should to make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority. They're a lovable bunch, aren't they, those in authority? Lovable bunch. Nancy Pelosi. The Donald. Schumer. Lovable bunch, aren't they? We're to pray for them. Because God loves them. God loves this country. He loves the unreached throughout the world. He loves them so much he gave his son for them. For kings and for all that are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Can I be a Joseph? Can I be a Daniel? Can I be an Esther? A Mordecai? Can I be a Paul? We can pray that we can be that Esther tomorrow. That we can be that Joseph this week. That God can use us, can prepare us, can prepare the hearts of those that he's going to lead us to. Was Pharaoh's heart prepared before Joseph reached? Before Joseph ever got into his presence? Yes. The Lord had been dealing with him and dealt with him in dreams. And then he brought Joseph to him. You know, there are people out there, and I find this amazing, that God is working in the hearts of people that you and I know that we've never even really thought about ever sharing the, the word with. But God's working in them. He's bringing them to him. Bring him to a point of decision. And he's asking us to be that Joseph or that Daniel or that Esther and show Christ to them in our walk, in our words, in our faith, in our life. This is the challenge. For God loves them. It's hard for us to love them, but he calls us to love them and to act in love and lead them to our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And then, Father, the love wherewith you loved us, you loved all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Father, we pray that you would give us the heart of Christ to care for those suffering and dying around us, that you would have us be used, that you would have us surrender to the working and the will of the Spirit. Father, we thank you for the examples in the Scripture that speak of your love for the nations and the kings, for all your people. Father, we pray that you will be used mightily in these last days, that your spirit would go forth throughout the world, that you would bring those to Christ, 
that are seeking for him. We thank you for him in our Savior's name. Amen.